Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Yes, welcome in. It's part two of this special edition of UAP Weekly. I am Stephen Diener here back with you on the Unidentified Alien Podcast Weekly Edition to bring to you, um, well, the second part of this week because this week was so jam-packed with news and notes and uh, really important events that took place. And today we are going to cover, honestly, what I've been waiting to cover all week with you, and that is the Disclosure Project uh, press conference that took place this past Monday on June 12th that I was uh, fortunate enough to be invited to by the uh, legal team that has taken on the this case along with uh, the Disclosure Project to bring about um, evidence of things that are being hidden from the general public. And I was so happy to be there and was so happy to, to be there in person to hear and what these witnesses, what these whistleblowers had to say along with Dr. Stephen Greer. Um, to see this in person and to hear this in person was really important. So... Very happy to be invited to be there for that this past Monday. And since then, I've been chomping at the bit to talk to you about this. So that's what this entire part two of this special edition of UAP Weekly will be devoted to here today, is to talk to you about what took place at this press conference and what was said. And quite honestly, the uh, possible repercussions and domino effect of things that could happen now because of the things that were said at this conference. So first, let me say... You know, we're going to get into their mission um, as well as the the whistleblowers that were there. We're going to kind of cover it all. I want to start with a little disclaimer here because I don't want to pretend that um, you know some people are have differing opinions regarding Dr. Stephen Greer. I understand that he tends to be a polarizing figure sometimes within the UAP community, and I don't want to ignore that and you know make you think that I might be ignoring something that you might be thinking in your own head about about Dr. Greer. So I just want to make it clear now that I am not here today to give my view on him or the veracity of his claims. That will always be up to you. What I will do is give you a recap of some of the claims that he made during the conference. That way you can see some of the differences between what he and David Grush had to say going back to part one of this UAP Weekly here this week. So we're going to hit all of those main points we're going to talk about here in just a second, what Dr. Greer had to say to start things off. And then we're going to get into some of these uh, whistleblowers as well. Now, one of the things that I found super interesting was Dr. Greer brought up a slide of secret bases, United States facilities. He brought up this map here and he showed basically all these different dots on this map that kind of gave you a an idea of where some of these secret bases might be. And there's a bunch in California. There's a bunch, as you can imagine, out in the deserts, Nevada. A few in Florida, Texas, up and down the the, the, uh, the East Coast. So there's, there's a lot there, and even one in Hawaii. Um, secret bases where some of these experiments that you're going to hear about today and... 
I guess you could say, um, secret operations going on, where that would be happening, where that would all be taking place. So what are these operations? What's going on? Well, Dr. Stephen Greer kind of started off the conference uh, talking about a lot of different issues, a lot of different things. One of the things he brought up was about scalar electromagnetic fields. And if you're not familiar with that, you're going to know by the end of this of this episode. And he talked about the aliens themselves, you know, non-humans as they're now being called in official government language, and whether or not they're hostile. He says... They are not hostile. He says they are wholly peaceful. And unfortunately, we are using our technology, this scalar electromagnetic field, to bring down alien craft. I'll play for you here what he said. Some of the clips I'm going to let you know right now, it's a little out of the ordinary. Some of these clips are longer than what I would normally play during UAP, but these were so jam-packed that I felt I had to give you the entire thing. So this one here is about a minute long where Dr. Greer talks about uh, scalar technology and aliens being peaceful. The extraterrestrial groups are absolutely not hostile. However, screaming caps, they are increasingly concerned about human hostility and our weapon systems, which include nuclear and scalar, the so-called, Dr. Zahari shared this this weekend, uh, about what scalar electromagnetic fields are. But just to give you a sense of it, you all know what an electromagnetic pulse is. That's at the speed of light. The scalar systems are, instead of a wave, is a point that goes out longitudinally. Some call them longitudinal waves. These have been studied. Tesla talked about scalar systems. They have been weaponized. And those are the primary systems used to target and hit these electromagnetic field propulsion craft that cause them to fall like a rock out of the sky. Okay, so obviously a huge, huge claim there. Pretty big accusation saying that we have secret installations that are using reverse-engineered alien technology in a sense, I mean, or just technology that we came came up with on, on our own to have this scalar electromagnetic field that it, it pretty much acts like an EMP but towards alien spacecraft to bring them down. That is the claim there from Dr. Stephen Greer. Now, if that is the case, that would explain why they are crashing in deserts and other places and answer the argument that was brought up yesterday. One of the big arguments that is always brought up is why would they crash here if they can travel across space? If they can go through space and time, then use quantum mechanics and physics to, to you know bend space time and shorten their distance that way, then how could they be crashing on Earth if they're that advanced? Now, David Grush in part one yesterday explained it about how, you know, well, we're an advanced civilization and we crash cars and things like that. Maybe they're just the same. They, you know, they're not infallible in their piloting of their craft. That's one explanation. Dr. Greer is talking about we're bringing them down. We are bringing these things down intentionally. We are using our weapons against them to bring down their craft. And that is a huge huge claim with incredible implications, obviously. Now, he did kind of go through these weapons and, you know, how can they they can be hidden within radar systems. So my question there is, is this what David Grush was getting at but couldn't say when he was referring to crashed UFOs? Remember, he talked about that in part one. And by the way, let me just say this now before we get too deep into part two. If you haven't heard part one, I highly suggest 
you listen to part one first because it, this is this episode will make a lot more sense. It's going to come together a lot better if you listen to part one first of UAP Weekly, where we covered the interview of of David Grush, the uh, whistleblower there. So just 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 let you know that if you haven't heard that, you might want to listen to that first. Now he also did mention that he's been told, Doctor Greer, this is he says that we have. 122 downed craft. That's versus what David Grush said about, you know, he was asked by Ross Coldhart, well, you know, how many of these craft do we have? David Grush's answer was quite a good number. Now, he couldn't reveal that because he probably revealed the the real number in his testimony in front of the uh, congressional hearing that he had or congressional audience, I guess you could say. But either way, under oath in front of Congress. And those were one of the things that he probably could not reveal in real time. But Dr. Greer gave the number 122 down craft. And he went on uh, before the whistleblowers here. He talked about something else that I found quite strange in humanity and how it can help the planet. And as far as technology and humanity and how it can help the planet. And he also, and this is where I'll get into this. Uh, a little bit before we get into the whistleblowers. He brings up the RICO case, and I'm going to let him explain a little bit of all that, and then I'll uh, follow up from there. What's very important about this, these technologies are unsanctioned. They are illegal operations, and this can be proven in any court of law, and we're about to launch a massive civilian RICO action, racketeer influence, corrupt organization action against the corporations and the individuals involved. These technologies would immediately solve the world's energy, environmental, and poverty problems. Why? Some people say free energy, but there's zero point in quantum vacuum energy systems pulling energy out of, let's call it the fabric of space-time. The point is, is that these technologies would have a huge revolutionary effect Macroeconomically, there would be some losers, oil industry, public utilities, nuclear power, now wind, solar, surface roads eventually would be obsolete. So it's a very significant technological advance. And for nearing a century, they have all been withheld. All right. So obviously huge implications there. Once again, huge um, accusations and quite frankly, um, world-changing type of accusations there from Dr. Greer. So I want to touch on a couple of those things real quick. The first one I want to touch on, he mentioned the RICO case. So this is where everything kind of uh, came together on my end, where if you remember back uh, a few weeks ago on UAP Weekly, I had on Paige Fox, attorney from Chicago, because she is part of the legal team with Derek Garcia. Derek Garcia is uh, involved more with the RICO side of things that Dr. Greer was Referring to actually Derek Garcia got up and spoke at this conference and specifically spoke about the legal process and the type of uh, accusations that they're bringing against these black op companies and black op sites that uh, you're going to hear about here today. So Derek Garcia there is more of the um, the attorney that is who has uh, more involved with the RICO case side of things and they have brought on or in the, in the process of bringing on Dr. Greer as their clients in order to bring about this suit that he was referring to. It's a huge, huge thing. Um, as you'll hear as we go on more, it'll kind of make sense 
I mean, when you talk about trying to bring to task a lot of these different black ops sites and companies, private companies, it's it's huge. I mean, the, the implications of that are absolutely enormous because then you start to talk about, well, if you can have them, you know, bring them to court and then prove that these technologies are real and that they do have these technologies and have been using them from reverse engineered alien craft then that type of technology obviously changes everyday life. We have a ton of new tech that would improve our life vastly. If you think about it in movie terms, think about the you know technology that you would see in Wakanda, and they bring that into the real world in you know the Marvel Cinematic Universe. If you want to put it that way, maybe that's the best way to put it in you know fiction to real life terms. That's that's kind of what's at stake here and why. Um, they would bring about this RICO case. And then you have Paige Fox. She's more along the lines of, you know, bringing awareness to the case, uh, which is why I talked to her on the show a few weeks ago and bringing more um, attorneys onto the case. I mean, they're, man, <laughs> I can't mention a, a lot of names or anything like that, but all I can say is that there are big numbers, a lot of volunteers who have um, spoken up in the legal world that want to be a part of this team to help in this effort that Derek Garcia and Paige Fox are bringing about to, you know, in the effort to bring on Dr. Greer as a client to, to bring about this suit that Derek Garcia is heading with the Rico case. There's a lot of people who want to get involved. I'm just going to tell you that right now. And that story, that thing is only going to get bigger and bigger as we go on. So you could be sure that I'm going to keep you up to date on uh, what's happening there. Cause I'm in contact with Derek Garcia and Paige Fox as they continue that process with uh, Dr. Greer. It's really quite something. Um, or I should say Dr. Derek Garcia is more on that end with Dr. Greer. But in contact with both. I'm just going to say that. In, in It's incredible work what they're doing. And by the way, if you do want to get involved, if you're in the legal world, I told them I would throw this uh, email out uh, for anybody who's listening and maybe knows somebody who would want to get involved with this. The uh, email is disclosure.legal at gmail.com. Again, that's disclosure.legal at gmail.com. If you apply on there, you would get a link to the form in um, in an auto-reply. So you'll get that auto-reply, then the link will be there for the form for you to fill out. So if you are if you have legal experience, you're in that world, you want to help out with this case and bring you out this RICO suit, things of that nature, by all means, you can send an email to that Email there, disclosure.legal at gmail.com. It is, um, it's fascinating what they're trying to do here. So, like I said, I'll keep you up to date. But it's time now to get to some of the witnesses that spoke at the conference. Because the first one we need to discuss is a man named Michael Herrera. And he's recently come out and is getting a lot of attention because of the unique nature of his story. And I can just, again, remember, I was in the room here listening to these guys speak, and Michael Herrera specifically, all of them were captivating. I don't want to really prop up one person over the other because they're all, honestly, heroes in my eyes. The courage that it takes for these guys to put everything, their lives, their livelihood, their families on the line, um, it it takes incredible courage to to do something like that, to become a, a whistleblower knowing the risk the great risk, personal risk to your own life and and welfare. Um, and Michael Herrera was one that really personally stood out to me because the story that he tells here, an encounter that he had back in 2009, which is something that 
he says was a man-made UFO when he was in the Philippines. And this guy was a highly dedicated Marine, a highly decorated Marine, the head of his platoon. And he was in the Philippines back in 2009 on a humanitarian operation. Describes a lot here in his, well, he, uh, he, he describes a lot here in his story. So here's... I'll let him take it from here, and then and then I'll explain a little bit more. Again, these clips are a little bit longer than usual, but it's it's very much worth it. Here's Michael Herrera. You can see that the craft here actually had uh, was roughly about 300 feet, and the reason why I know this is because you could fit three of the helicopters that we flew in on underneath this craft. It was rotating a, a clockwise motion. The panels here that you see, um, the black ones, at least three of them, was like a vanta black, very dark. I have no idea what that was. On the very top, there was like a pyramid structure that you could see the shadowing of it, which would elicit that was a pyramid structure. And it had an audible hum to it, um, kind of like a guitar amp if you were to unplug that, or like a transformer, it's very audible. If I was to hear that sound again, I could tell you, okay, it's probably this thing or something similar to that. It's very distinct. And the way that it was floating, which was about 10, you know, 15, 20 feet off the ground, it was kind of a very eerie thing to see because I've never seen anything like that in my life. When we got up to that point, we were then intercepted by a team of um, soldiers or um, rogue military force, if you will. The most concerning thing about this is they all had American dialects. They had American gear. They had OTVs, black. They had black camouflage. They had very similar setups to what we have, but more high speed, something what you would see special operation, operation groups these days have. They had no insignias on. They had no ranks. They had nothing that would signify who they were. They had black ball caps. They had M4A4s that were equipped with ACOGs, which was a step up from what we were currently issued, as well as PEC-16 IR illumination devices that you use for night vision and uh, night patrols, things like that. So he kind of paints the picture there. You kind of get the idea who he was dealing with. These guys were the real deal that he ran into. So just a little bit more background to a little bit more context. Um, like I said, he's out in the Philippines, 2009. He was sent out there on a humanitarian operation, the head of his platoon. And as they were on this operation, they're kind of coming over one of the hills and they look down into the brush of the jungle and they see this floating craft. That's when they went down to investigate. And that's when they were confronted by these American men, according to Michael Herrera, um, and basically held there. And these guys, as Michael Herrera explained there, were the real deal. No identifiable insignias on their uniforms. Again, American accents. Um, and their lives are being threatened. I mean, they're being held at gunpoint and they have no idea what's happening in this moment. But this is where the story takes a turn where Michael Herrera really talks about something I had never heard before in my entire life. Something I had never even considered as a possibility in my life, uh, you know, investigating this subject for probably 20 years now, going back to my teenage years and doing the show with you for two years now. He talks about a possible human trafficking type of operation going on. Listen, listen to how he explains this here. They also had these containers that was illustrated right here which come to find out through recent relevations from yesterday from uh, somebody who came forward to Dr. Greer. I don't know who they are, but what they had told him and what he has told me is that this gentleman knows exactly what these were used for because they had like a cylinder on the front, which is either for oxygen or what I have hypothesized was for vacuum sealing, uh, which believe me to um, suspect that they were smuggling narcotics or drugs. 
Um, come to find out it's more disturbing than that. Um, this gentleman has first-hand account with this and says that it was for people. It's very disheartening, especially because that part of the world have already gotten ravaged and it's something that is very hard to see right now because of what I've witnessed. And it's very disheartening. And this is why I'm up here. So pretty heavy stuff, obviously. And you can hear his voice cracking. He, he did start to get emotional. Uh, you can tell as he was talking while I was sitting there, I could at least tell that he was trying to hold back tears um, as he was recalling all this. It was, it was very, really quite emotional for everybody who was in the room and shocking, um, stunning to say the least. To think about the ramifications of this, that you could be talking about what Michael Herrera is alleging here, that there is a secret operation going on behind the back of the American people, behind the back of the world. Some type of private entity, company, whatever you want to call it, would be using reverse engineered alien technology for a human trafficking operation, smuggling. I mean, this is, it's an astonishing claim. It's an incredible allegation that honestly... I, it shook me to the to the core. I'm not gonna lie. Like it, it, it kind of like shook me to my foundation, um, because it's it's really I don't want to believe that. That is so incredibly nefarious and evil that I don't want to believe that some private companies or company would be capable of doing these things. Not only hiding world changing technology from humanity. But using it for such an evil purpose like that, it's just so disturbing to me. It's hard to reconcile. And uh, I'm sure it is to you, too. And that's why that, that, that story from Michael Herrera really stuck with me. And I hope to be able to speak with him in the future right here on UAP Weekly. Because um, I found him to be such an interesting person, a sincere person, a credible person. That I, I really, really would love to speak to him here on UAP Weekly. And I'm going to try to make that happen to bring him on here personally to discuss this and anything else that he would like to say as well regarding his story and his experiences. Because it, it really is one of the most incredible allegations I've ever heard in my life that um, private companies would be using reverse engineered technology from aliens to have operations or to conduct operations such as these, and that you would have American men, seemingly for, former soldiers, seemingly, involved with this. And they would actually be, you know, against their own kin, inactive, you know, Marines. It's tough. It's, it's, it's a tough one. It really is. But that's what Michael Herrera alleges here uh, as far as his encounter and his experience but after witnessing all that and going through this ordeal, Michael was able to recount that he was trying to see as much as he could of the operation that was happening in real time because obviously he was limited. His sight was limited to what was happening because he's turned around with a gun pointed at the back of his head. He says that at some of the trucks, though, later on, they drove away. And as that happened, he was able to see how this craft was actually beginning to take off. So remember, all this stuff is happening around him. This this giant craft is behind him. He talked about it being, you know, like three football fields because of the way that just he was estimating because of he was saying he would be able to fit a certain amount of helicopters under it. 
So listen to how he describes a little bit here as, as we kind of pick it up where he's explaining what he saw after the so-called cargo trucks, if you will, left the area. He starts to explain what he saw in as uh, this craft began its ascent. As that happened, this platform actually rose up off the ground itself. The top part of the craft actually met it down in the middle like this and uh, formed into one solid piece. Um, it floated right above the tree line. As soon as it was able to break that tree line, it actually had the on the corners of each of these, which was an octagonal shape uh, craft, by the way, on each corner, it emanated a light. It was either red, yellow, green, or blue. Only those four colors I can distinctly remember. It didn't make any additional high-pitched sounds when it rose up. Once it got past that tree line, it shot over to the left, basically where the ocean was. At a ra uh, so fast, um, I would estimate probably three, four, five thousand miles an hour instantaneous like that. Uh, there was no rotor wash, no exhaust that would disturb the trees, vegetation, the coconuts that were on these trees were not even touched. It produced no sonic boom. This thing was so fast. Okay, so now we're talking about man-made craft that has instantaneous acceleration. Everything that he spoke about there, everything that he claimed, is exactly what you hear in a UFO sighting. The instantaneous acceleration, no type of exhaust, it just zoom, it's gone, right? Nothing is disturbed around it. This is the stuff that we hear when it comes to the classic UAP UFO sighting. So this would mean that, and we're not done with these stories, <laughs> this is, this is the, just the first one that we were covering, this would mean that these private, some type of private entities, corporations, whatever, private armies, have this technology. Is this what we're seeing? Are we seeing man-made craft in the skies? What's man-made and what's extraterrestrial? I mean, the line has been blurred, if this is the case. Again, like I said earlier, huge ramifications here of these allegations that took place at the National uh, Press Club during this disclosure press conference. You can see now what I was talking about. Now, Michael says he signed a, a document um, because he was let go. Him and his platoon were let go. They were told to never talk about it. They confiscated all their phones, all their stuff, told them, you better sign this document that you will never speak of this or else pretty much. But now, since 2009, he's decided to come out because of the new whistleblower protection laws. He felt like he could speak in a confidential setting, give his story, and then he decided, you know, it's just time to speak up in public because he wanted to get the word out there. He felt, obviously you heard the story, he felt like he couldn't live with himself anymore if he didn't get this stuff out there in the public setting. It, it was that important to him, and it is important. So he actually tried to get uh, some of his platoon members to speak up with him as well after all these years. Unfortunately, and I mean, look, you can understand, like I said, these guys were incredibly brave to come out and, and speak about these things, but some of his platoon members uh, were not as willing to do that. They declined, and they actually showed this letter. They brought up this letter that Michael Herrera says he received back from one of his platoon members. Um, they put this up on the projector screen inside of the National Press Club, and here's what the letter led, the reply to Michael Herrera as he was trying again to get some of his guys to, to come out with him and be a public whistleblower. Here's the reply he got. It says, Hey man, this is asking too much of me, and it's not worth the risk. 
My family and military career far exceed anything you are asking of me. It's not worth my life or jeopardizing my family. I know we go, we, I know we go back, but this is asking too much. You need to get out of whatever you are in and don't get me involved with this mess. My career isn't worth helping you. Don't ever ask me to do this bleep ever again. And that was from a Marine platoon member of Michael Herrera's. It's heavy stuff. I mean, imagine asking someone that you consider a close friend or family to help you out with something, to come out with you and and speak on something that you feel is of grave importance for the world. And Herrera is the only one who's felt it enough in himself to be able to come out and, and, and speak out about this. So I commend him for that. Again, the, the, the vibe in the room when he spoke was of just complete, oh my gosh, I can't believe what I'm hearing. And we all, you know, everybody could feel for the guy. You really did. So unbelievable story from Michael Herrera. Um, again, I hope to have him on as we go on through UAP Weekly. I'm going to try to work on that and see if he can get on the show here to tell his story with me uh, for you. But we're going to move on to a man named Stephen Digna Jr. And I'm going to summarize for you kind of some of his story here because, again, you're talking about man-made craft here. And in this case, man-made abductions. And this is in Fort Wayne, California, um, in connection with Raytheon. Now, Stephen Digna Jr. is a sympathetic character because he ex- experienced brain injuries from a training exercise. And he was, you know, doing his best to read his testimony at the National Press Club. He did. He did a great job. Um, but he explained his ordeal. It was an unbelievable story, really. And I'm going to try to be as concise as I can. So he was on the base one night and saw a V-shaped craft with his superiors from Raytheon were standing next to him on this platform as these two V-shaped crafts came over him. Now, he says these guys from Raytheon weren't surprised by this, which told him this was a man-made craft. This was something from Raytheon. He, of course, was freaked out. He saw these two craft then come together, and he felt that he was seeing holograms being emitted from one of the craft, that it wasn't actually two craft, but one of them was a hologram. That's his theory. That's what he felt in the moment, he says. Now, the guys from Raytheon, apparently, according to Stephen Digna, they were not happy about this, that he was seeing this, because he also put on his night vision goggles, and apparently he was able to see more of what was happening, and they weren't happy that he was basically discovering some things he wasn't supposed to discover. Now, according to his story, about a week later, Stephen Digna and his wife were uh, abducted. Um, They experienced an extreme abduction case. According to his account, he said he got up close and personal and said that this ship felt like it had shark skin or a cat's tongue. So let me explain that because that's like kind of bits and pieces. He was driving down the road. He explained that him and his wife were going down the road. It's again, you know, one of those lonely, dark roads out in, uh, you know, Fort Wayne, California. And as they're going down this road, a... I guess you could say triangle type of diamond shape ship came down and stopped the car. His wife gets out. She's held in a type of stasis um, type of state where she's just paralyzed, left paralyzed standing there. He was, though, not paralyzed. He was able to walk up to the ship, approach it, 
feel it, rub his hand across it like you would if you were like maybe flattening out a sheet. And he said that's when he felt almost as if the ship was alive in a way. He said he almost felt like it was purring. And that's he also said that this the surface of the ship felt like shark skin or a cat's tongue. I know. Look, I'm just telling you what they said, okay? I, I know some of this stuff sounds unreal. Trust me. I was in the room. It was unreal to me as well. But this is their account. These are their stories. This is who Dr. Greer had up on the stage with him during this press conference. Now, here's the thing. Stephen Digna Jr. then says that he saw human doctors come off of this ship. And that is when a plasma field came over him and he felt that he was now stuck in a state of stasis as his wife was as well. And they were both levitated in midair. And this is when they were doing some type of experimentation on them and doing tests, according to Stephen Digna Jr. He was terrified, of course. Nightmares for years changed his life for the worse, unfortunately. And the implication that he makes here from this story is that he was being punished for seeing what he saw that night on the base. And that he actually experienced an alien abduction encounter, but man-made. Again, these allegations are unbelievable. But this is a man-made alien abduction. And if that is the case, and this is this thought bothered me for days. It bothered me for days after this conference. And it still kind of bothers me right now as I talk about it. What does this mean for other abduction stories? We've spoken so much about abduction stories here on UAP that it, it, it made me question everything. I mean, are we talking about alien abduction encounters? Are they mostly human-made? Are we talking about scientists who are doing experiments on other humans using reverse-engineered alien craft? I don't know. I don't know anymore. You know, I thought I had some of this stuff pegged. And then I go and I hear some of this testimony, and I'm in the room with these guys as they're explaining it, and it, it moved me. And I'm trying to reconcile some of this stuff, even as I talk to you about it. And it's hard. And I don't know what to make of it. Maybe it's half and half. Maybe it's 10% human causing, you know, abductions, capturing people, doing medical experiments on them. I mean, how many times are these alien abduction stories actually aliens? If, do- if what Dr. Stephen Greer says is it if it's true that... All alien races are peaceful. Then how could they be responsible for malevolent abductions and experiments? That would mean that these are all human-made type of experiences. I, <laughs> it's 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 hard, it's hard, and and I I don't know what to make of it. Usually I have some type of indication of how I go on some of these stories. Um, I don't know where to go with it, but that's why I just, hopefully you have a better understanding of some of the things that I'm relating to you from this press conference because it's hard for me to understand. But these are the stories that they've related. Now, does it mean it actually happened? No, it doesn't. Does it mean that they were telling the truth? No, 
It doesn't. But I'm just telling you, being in the room, it felt like these guys were absolutely sincere. And does an abduction case like Stephen Digna speak for every other abduction case? No, it doesn't. Maybe that's one out of a million. We don't know. But the fact that this is even being implied is disturbing enough. And speaking of disturbing, talk about a segue. I know this is heavy stuff. I apologize. I don't mean to bring you down, but this was what was being talked about at, at the conference. And this is why I've been waiting all week to tell you about it and to relate these stories to you because they're game changers. Um, if, if even part of them are true. A man named D.C. Long, we're going to talk about him. He came up to speak, and you talk about emotional. His story, and I'm not going to, I'm going to try to quickly summarize it and then play for you what he said at the end because there was one more speaker that I want to get to before we wrap up here today, and I don't want this to be too, too long. Uh, But D.C. Long, again, this is another guy I might have on in the future on UAP Weekly because his story was uh, very moving. He talked about his father a lot. And his father was his hero. His father was his everything. And he had a great relationship with his father. And his his dad was a government contractor. So his dad, you know, came across a lot of different things. Um, you know, maybe some things that were hard to explain. But one day they were both brought into uh, Fort Bragg, the U.S. Army base, you know, home of the, uh, the Airborne Division. And I've actually been on that base before. It's pretty incredible. Um, but they were brought in to do a job, and they were brought to an underground facility. In that underground facility, D.C. Long told the story that they came across these floating stones, what he described as a giant monolithic stone levitating in the air. And they weren't supposed to see it, according to what he said, because they were pushed along by one of the soldiers who was there. He said, kind of, you know, move it along, get out of here type thing. And they were asked to sign a non-disclosure agreement. D.C. Long says that they weren't comfortable with that. His father said, no, I don't want to sign it. From there, their life was essentially ruined. Not essentially, it was. Their life was ruined. Um, They were millionaires because of their government contract work. Very successful company that his father owned and developed on his own. And from there, the next day, everything was gone. The money, the business went under. They became homeless. I mean, you talk about life being ruined. They ruined their lives because of what they saw there that day, and they didn't want to sign the non-disclosure agreement. That's the story that D.C. Long tells. Now, fast forward, he joins the Army. He's doing some airborne training, and he says during one of the airborne training exercises, one of his childhood friends released a tether on the plane that then struck him, making him fall out of the plane and sustained serious bodily injuries. A childhood friend did this to him. Imagine that. (laughs) All because they saw something they weren't necessarily supposed to see. D.C. Long said essentially his body was broken. Couldn't, and then at this point he couldn't find his father, hadn't spoken to him in a while, ended up coming across his father at a hospital. He was dying of cancer. Just a terrible, terrible story. And again, I don't tell you this to bring you down. I tell you this story because I felt it was important to relate to you what some of these guys were saying. But it does end with a hopeful note. Now, D.C. Long obviously is alive and well um, because he was there telling his story on the stage at the press conference. And he finished off by saying this. Now, things ended well with his father. 
you know, they reconciled before his father passed away. So that was all good. And DC is in a much better place than he was before in the time that he was, you know, as this was all happening to him. But this is how he ended his story. And I thought this was so profound that I wanted to play you this one minute clip here. So this is DC Long and him um, kind of wrapping up what was about a 15 minute account. Here's here's DC. I wrote my story and I entitled it, I'm Afraid to Say. And people have asked me, well, why did you wait so long? I mean, it's obvious why we waited so long to send it. Nobody knows this. My family doesn't know this. Dr. Greer obviously doesn't know this. When I sent that, I was planning on taking my life because they took every damn thing from me. I can handle losing my career. I was willing to die for my country. I was hoping like hell I would. Somehow I survived. But my intention was to take my own life because I just couldn't do it anymore. I heard this man's, this man's words with Sean Ryan, if good men do nothing, then evil men will prevail. I am damn tired of doing nothing. That um, applause went on for a couple minutes, if I remember correctly, or at least it felt like a couple minutes. It was so moving. It was so touching from D.C. Long. He was, he's a great guy, incredible person with an incredible story of overcoming unimaginable adversity, to be quite honest with you. Um, and that's why I wanted to relate his story to you today, not to bring you down or anything like that, but to just relate to you the adversity that this man has overcome is what seemed insurmountable, but yet there he was telling the story. So absolutely incredible. Um, and if stuff like that is happening, it needs to stop. I mean, you're talking about major, major cover-ups here that we've run through on the first three stories. And we're going to end with another cover-up, actually, because this one, this this comes from a man named Eric Hecker. Eric Hecker is um, a man who was brought in by Raytheon, again, there's that name, uh, to do some, some work at their South Pole station. You know, often the question is asked, it's brought up, I, I hear a lot within the UAP community, what is going on in Antarctica? What kind of work is being done down there? What kind of discoveries have been made or have been kept hidden? So that's where we bring in the South Pole Raytheon Station and Eric Hecker. Uh, his story has actually been going viral for the past couple of days. I've seen his this clip I'm about, about to play for you. Maybe you've already even seen it on social media because it's been on Twitter. It's been on TikTok. Um, I've seen it a few places because what he says here is... Um, it's it's unbelievable. It's earth shattering. It's world changing. If this stuff is really happening, then this is the type of stuff that's uh, knowledge and technology that is just changes everything. So what I'm going to do right now actually is um, something I've actually never done before on any variation of UAP, UAP Weekly or old fashioned UAP. I'm going to play you his statement in its entirety. I feel it's worth the time. It's about four and a half minutes um, almost on the on the dot, about four and a half minutes. And I just want you to sit and pay close attention to what he has to say. I, be quite frank with you, I've listened to it about five times and I've picked up something new each time. So if you feel the need to go back and listen again, by all means, do that. And that's why I want to play the whole thing for you here because it is, uh, it's, it's, it's validated to play four and a half minutes here of Eric Hecker's testimony. This was his entire testimony, actually. He only spoke for these... Four and a half minutes. So 
Here's Eric and what he had to say about what he experienced at the uh, South Pole station from Raytheon. Hello, everybody. Ladies, gentlemen, members of the press. Uh, I'm very happy that you're giving me this attention and this information attention because it needs to get out to the world. I will start, uh, since we have to be brief, I have already given all pertinent information and supporting documentation to the Senate Intelligence Committee and Arrow. They informed me that all of my information will be recorded for public record and shared with Congress. It is that important. In 2010, I was selected to go down to the South Pole Station in Antarctica for an entire year by Raytheon Polar Services as an employee of a third-party contractor for the National Science Foundation. I function in a dual role capacity as a tradesman and a firefighter. My responsibilities required me to be more informed than most of my crew and offered me complete access to the facilities. What I learned from this unique experience needs to be shared with the entire world. The technology at the South Pole Station certainly can do what it is presented as its primary purposes and unfortunately much more. The IceCube neutrino detector is presented as a passive listening device for the purposes of the science as presented. But I'm going to skip right through the chase, folks. Uh, I have provided documentation that proves that the 5,160, what they call DOMs, that are embedded in the ice can actually transmit at 2,047 volts each. That gives us a long list of things to consider. It is effectively a multifaceted directed energy weapons platform that I will uh, list rapidly a few things that it can do. Vehicle detection. We're learning that these off-world craft, on-world craft, ours or other nations are also emitting neutrinos. So this makes the South Pole Station effectively an air traffic control station for this new level of equipment that nobody's discussing. In addition to the ability to detect neutrinos and the exotic vehicles, I have provided documentation that shows that this is also a system for faster-than-light communications. In the past, Gary McKinnon has hacked NASA, found the off-world fleet, the list of captains, and it's apparent that if we have faster-than-light vehicles moving throughout the system, we're going to need faster-than-light communications. This is that facility. Unfortunately, I have other bad news. The season that I was there, 2010 to 2011, we converted from uh, construction to operations and maintenance in both the elevated station and the detector array. Unfortunately, when they first fired it up, that was when we had the earthquakes in Christchurch, New Zealand. There was two incidental shots before they were able to target it correctly. This is an earthquake generating device as well. This is the weapons of war that we have to deal with now and what Raytheon's hiding. There's an ELF system at the South Pole Station that when I was arrived, I was told it was off, dismantled, and completely defunct. In my work, I will rapidly just tell you, I had to figure out the circuitry for certain other repairs, and I found that this system is in fact completely energized, up and running, and being utilized with the other systems for nefarious purposes as well. The Atmospheric Research Observatory is uh, in what we call the clean air sector. I witnessed myself a very powerful green laser shooting out of the top of this facility into the cosmos. This I believe is a secondary form of long-range communications and or a defense system. I am not saying that we need to be scared of anything that's out there, but please understand the military industrial complex is happy to invest all of your money in alleviating their fears. <clears throat> 
a question of power comes into play for all of these facilities that are present. I assure you, I knew what was going on, I knew the load demands of the facility, and all of these new items exceed the demand for the systems that I was presented. I am doing due diligence and research. I believe there is either a secondary power supply there that is either nuclear, that uh, was there prior to the start of the Antarctic Treaty, which prohibits such things, and or that there is some sort of exotic uh, power supply system there that just is not in the verbiage of the treaty, so it negates the responsibility to the parties involved. And there you go. <laughs> that is Eric Hecker, a former employee there at the Raytheon South Pole Station. And it's, again, I mean, listen, you heard it. Um, it kind of gave everybody chills in the room when, when he made those statements, uh, causing an earthquake in New Zealand, you know, being able to detect craft that are going faster than the speed of light. All the things that he mentioned are just out of this world. I mean, quite literally. And that's the kind of stuff that, you know, Dr. Greer is bringing up during this or did bring up during this press conference, all of this, you know, otherworldly technology that is being used by, you know, companies like Raytheon or any other type of, you know, government contractor that or government contracting company that might have some type of, you know, black ops division. So let's just recap here a little bit and wrap everything up together. Um, because you can tell if you listen to part one with David Grush that, you know, he was talking about more, okay, we know that we have alien craft and alien bodies, but he didn't go into a lot more details like we heard here today. He said, now, one main difference from Grush was that he said there are aliens that do have bad intentions against humans, whereas Dr. Greer says that is not the case, that they are peaceful, and that a lot of the stuff that we're seeing is actually our own from these black op companies that are responsible for all the bad stuff that are that is happening, and they're hiding all this technology from the public and congressional oversight, hence, by the way, the lawsuit that they wanted, the RICO lawsuit that they want to bring across, which is why, you know, Derek Garcia is in the process of bringing in Dr. Greer as a client to work with, you know, the, this to work on this RICO case. And why Paige Fox, you know, Derek's partner is working to bring in more volunteers on the law side and bringing more awareness to what's happening here. You know, even and, and bringing I told you the, the huge numbers that they're bringing in as possible, you know, volunteers for team members to make this type of lawsuit happen, to bring these types of stories out into the open, to make it common knowledge, to hold these companies to task, hold their feet to the fire, and admit to the things that they've done to and against humanity. That's why they're doing this. That was the whole reason for the Disclosure Project conference that took place on Monday, June 12th. We heard some unbelievable type of testimony, accusations being made that is um, it's hard to reconcile. It's a lot to take in. That's why I was waiting and chomping at the bit to talk to you about some of these things that took place because it, uh, they're game changers. And it, it, I honestly feel more confused. I hate to say that because you know I, I tried to bring stories and the updates to you to help bring maybe clarity in some of these situations, but it's like, which side do you believe? And I'm just being honest with you right now. It's like, which side 
do you go with? Do you go with this side from Dr. Greer talking about all these things are, not all of them, but a good portion are man-made, a lot of these things that we're seeing. And it's, you know, all this reverse engineering is going on, which we always suspected anyway. But then you're talking about, you know, these human abductions and a lot of the craft that we're seeing are man-made. So what's ET and what's human? So Dr. Greer actually did talk about some of the differences in his estimation, what he says that he's discovered through his investigations and whistleblower testimonies, private or otherwise, that a lot of the things that are man-made give off that humming sound like Michael Herrera talked about. Um, They might have like, you know, wires connected to them, whereas E.T. craft would be seamless. So those are some of the things. I actually posted some of the pictures because they put up some of the pictures side by side, uh, E.T. versus man-made craft. I put up some of those pictures on the UAP Twitter. You can check it out if you didn't see it already. It got a lot of attention when I put that up, I think on, I don't know what it was. I lost track of the days, but sometime this week. Uh, but you can check it out if you missed it at UA Podcast 850 on Twitter at UA Podcast 850. Um, you can you can see some of those side by sides of what Dr. Greer said were man made and ET craft. But that's all I got for you right now to finish up this special edition of uh, two part UAP weekly series to talk about everything that's happened this week. I hope it wasn't too exhausting for you. I had a lot to get across to you this week. So much so that unless something comes up, I might just take a break next week so we can kind of, I don't know, uh, try to take all this stuff in and and let it settle in because it was a long week. So I'll be sure to keep you updated on when the next UAP is. I have a lot of ideas floating around of what we're going to cover next, but I'll keep you updated right there on the uh, UAP Twitter at UAPodcast850 so you can kind of... Stay up to date on when the next episode will be. But take some time to take this all in because it was a lot. Until then, though, you can continue to download and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. You can always follow the show on Twitter, like I said, at UA Podcast 850, where you can interact with me directly. Give me any of your feedback, any of your stories. I know some of you have done that and you do that. And I appreciate you telling me or, or I should say even sharing your stories with me um, because it, it means a lot that you confide in me and in some of the, your own experiences. So if you would like to do that, you can relate your stories or anything you have on your mind to me right there on the UAP Twitter. Also, and I have a few of these in there and I promise to get back to you. I got to get through the emails, but you can email the show as an alternative. If you don't like doing social media, if you're not really up to doing Twitter and things like that, you can email the show, anything that's on your mind, experiences, feedback, anything you got. And you can do that. Uh, the email address is sdeaneruap at gmail.com. It's just my first initial and last name, S-D-I-E-N-E-R-U-A-P at gmail.com. And I will be sure to get to those messages. I have a few sitting in the inbox right now. I see you. I know you're there. I'm sorry I haven't been able to get back to you yet, but I will do that as soon as I can. I always try to get back to everybody as soon as I can. So that'll do it for now. We went over a lot. We covered a lot of bases, a lot of stories. I'm sorry if that this was so long. I'm sorry it was kind of an arduous journey here to get through a lot of this information on UAP Weekly this week. But now you see why I had to do this in two parts. A lot to take in. And uh, just take your time. If you need to go back and listen to some stuff, I don't blame you. I had to listen to a lot of the press conference myself a couple of times. But that'll do it for now. It's Stephen Diener here on UAP Weekly saying thank you so much for everything, for the way that you always take to the show, for all your support. It really does mean the world to me. 
and hopefully I will, I will continue to do my best to bring you everything you need to know in the world of UAP. So until next time, I will say be well, and I will speak with you again soon. Thank you again.